Hey everyone, I'm Anthony Jambroni. Welcome to Storied Cities, a podcast where we explore the stories our cities tell and the stories we tell about our cities. So we sit down with people from across the vocational spectrum, whether business owners, ministry leaders, nonprofit workers, teachers, or neighbors. People who are learning to love the places they live and the people that reside within it. Because ultimately, that's how we foster new narratives, new plot lines, new stories about our cities. These kids aren't the most lovely or the easiest to love. And to effectively teach them and serve them well, you're going to have to get your hands dirty. So today we're having a conversation with a guy named Ben Colas. He is a kindergarten teacher and has been for the past four years in Cleveland Public Schools. He, in 2016, launched something called KinderKits with initial seed money from winning Cleveland Leadership Center's Accelerate Pitch Competition. I'll let him explain a little bit more of what KinderKits is about in our conversation, but it's, it's now an LLC and since inception has provided over 6,000 families with readiness kits and is currently a showcase company for season two of Cleveland Chain Reaction. So one of my favorite things about my conversation with Ben was that, you know, we have a lot of uh, assumed narratives, not so good narratives about city public schools sometimes, that they're unsafe, that there's a lack of quality education or teachers available for our children. And simply by Ben's proximity to these kids, these families, he really helps us understand and have empathy for the situations they're living in day in and day out. Uh, The parents, but also the kids. So we talk about things like trauma, about partnering with parents to really help them be the parents they want to be to their kids, especially uh, in the academic environment. Um, So I hope you enjoy the conversation and thanks so much for listening. Ben, thanks for being here with us today. Absolutely excited. Thank you. I'm excited for the conversation. So um, today we're talking a little bit about uh, education, public schools. And, you know, as I was thinking about our conversation, uh, most people I know, um, you know, as my wife and I have, have gotten to know Cleveland, interacted with more and more people here, um, people are like running away from public schools in some sense. Like people I talk to are just like, don't want their kids to go there. Um, and, so I'm just curious from the get-go, like, you know, even uh, p- prior to this, we were talking about, like, you actually studied uh, finance in I college, mm-hmm. um, which is not education or kindergarten education or anything like that. So obviously teaching wasn't your initial thought. What led you to become a public school kindergarten teacher? Yeah, so I had spent a lot of time evaluating what do I see myself doing after graduating college, what does that look like? Mm-hmm. And I've reflected a lot on my upbringing and background and grew up in a very stable home, uh, financially fine, health-wise fine, and I realized that I really had been given a lot and felt like there's a verse somewhere to whom much is given, much is expected. Mm. So thinking, want to do something where I feel like I'm, in a sense, giving back or investing in others focused on that. Hmm. So I was studying finance, not entirely sure what I would do with that, thinking maybe my generation does not know a lot about money and managing Mm -hmm. that, thinking there could be an opportunity there. Become a financial advisor. Something something along those lines, yeah. Yeah. And 
I remember one winter break, I watched a documentary called Waiting for Superman. Hmm. And it's a documentary about the public school system. Okay. And they chronicle some families that are trapped in failing schools and they're trying to get their kids into better schools. Okay. And some of them are able to, some are not. And I think that really opened my eyes to public education and Hmm. some of the challenges, the need for great teachers, Hmm. and just reflect on, oh, education could be a great way to invest in others. I'm a high energy person. I like being with people. So thought my skill set could potentially serve well in that capacity, um, meeting a need. So decided to give teaching a shot. So I joined the program Teach for America, which basically they take people who don't have a traditional education background and you commit to teaching for two years in high need, high poverty communities. So did that program. That's what brought me to Cleveland and I've fallen in love with the education scene and been here since. Wow, that's awesome. And the the documentary was called Waiting for Superman? Yes. That's an interesting mm-hmm. title. Um, Jeffrey Canada, who does a lot in New York City with early okay. childhood things, mm-hmm. he talked about how as a kid he was always thinking, oh, Superman's going to come and save things and fix things, and he never came. Got it. So, Wow, that's crazy. Um, so what do you say, I'm assuming like, you know, over the years, you've been teaching kindergarten for how many years? Now? Five years. Five years. Um, and all in public school, inner city. Yeah. First two at a charter okay. and the past three in Cleveland public, but okay. all inner city Cleveland. Okay. So I'm assuming you've run into people who are maybe confused as to why you'd be teaching in a public school. What do you, what's your response to those people? Yeah. I think a lot of people are why would you want to teach in Cleveland? Yeah. And aren't the families just out of control and isn't it just absolutely crazy? And my response to that is, as a Christian, believing that all kids are made in God's image, they all have inherent dignity and inherent value, and thinking that education can be a means for them to unlock their God-given skills, their passions, discover just their dreams with that. So seeing education as kind of an opportunity to invest in the kids that way mm-hmm. and recognizing that regardless of what zip code they're born into, that shouldn't necessarily define them hmm. or confine them to a rough life or a tough education. Hmm. So viewing that as an opportunity to invest in the kids in that way. Yeah. Are there a lot of people like you that are like, you know, intentionally investing in public school as teachers? I think to stay teaching in the inner city, yeah, you have to have some sort of motivation just besides, oh, I got my summers off. Mm. So whether, like for me, it would be the kids are made in God's image. For others, it might be a sense of social justice or I want to try to fight and address systemic racism mm. or something. But it's definitely a stressful environment. It's definitely a chaotic environment. There's a lot of turnover, instability. Hmm. So for just about everybody, I would say they have some sort of why Hmm. and making sure that um, they understand that is definitely helpful. Hmm. Um, The kids that you work with, uh, you mentioned, you know, that um, not being defined by the zip code they live in. I know that the kids are obviously very young and uh, innocent in, in some sense. But do you think that kids have a, like, feel that? The kids you work with feel the, like, uh, maybe that, that they define themselves like that? 
but others define them by the zip code they live in? I think at schools like mine, you can kind of see that beginning in second grade, Mm -hmm. which is one of the reasons why I love kindergarten, where even for my kids, a high five can be a great reward for them. I'm going to give one high five today. Who's going to get it? And everybody just as excited to be for that. Or today we're going to learn about the letter Q and having the kids cheering like crazy and super excited. So I found that's one thing that I've just loved with kindergarten. Like the kids, in a sense, get to be kids. Hmm. Or at least if you can have the classroom where they feel safe and welcome, they can experience that. Hmm. So I really like that. I have noticed, though, at my school, even beginning in second grade, some of the just attitudes, some of the discipline issues, some of the challenges, and recognizing that I think a lot of the kids are realizing that they've been dealt with tough hand hmm. and not necessarily having the having learned the skills to respond to that or try to turn the challenges into opportunities. And that definitely pans out with some behavioral and social emotional challenges. Yeah, for sure. Um, so I met a woman uh, recently um, who is employed. I think she's, you know, like a secretary or something with CPS, Cleveland Public Schools. Um, but uh, she sends her children to private school, actually like um, St. Ignatius right here, right down the street from you. And I was like struck by that, you know, I, I'm not throwing shade here on like, you know, parents who want better. That's just like the human impulse in some sense. Like, you know, a system, you know, a institution and you want something better (laughs) for your kids. Um, so I'm not throwing shade on that, but I'm just, you know, curious, is there like, do you have thoughts on that? Or I know you don't have kids right now, so it may be hard Mm -hmm. to, but like, are there people like that? You know, what, what, uh, what thoughts do you have mm-hmm. about something like that? Yeah, so obviously I, I got married three weeks ago, so yeah. we do not have kids. <laughs> kids yep. are not on the radar right now. <laughs> yeah. And even then, that'll be several years afterwards before we really have to begin evaluating school options. Um, so every parent does have a different set of values for education and what they want for their kids, and that's totally their decision. I am a big proponent of school choice and parents having the choice for what they want for their child and believe that a parent does know what's best for their kids. Mm -hmm. So totally understand that. And quite frankly, with some of the challenges that I've seen at schools like mine, Mm -hmm. I wouldn't necessarily want a parent to send their kid there. Or if I was having a frank conversation with a parent, I would probably encourage them to consider looking elsewhere. Mm -hmm. Um, That being said, though, there definitely is a need for believers in the public school system so it can be tough like as a parent you don't want to in a sense throw your child to the wolves in the name of ministry like odds are your kid is not as grounded in their if they are a believer like not as grounded in their faith and there can be a whole lot of peer pressure and challenges but that being said between opportunities with whether it be parent teacher associations just meeting with the principals and teachers volunteering in the classroom there are definitely a lot of opportunities for people to be a light in the Mm. public school system. Um, So that's something that I know that my wife and I, when we are evaluating things, we'll really have to consider Mm. both the quality of education, but as well as where could we be a strong light and a strong presence. Yeah. You mentioned, um, you know, the challenges that exist in the public schools. What are those in your, you know, from your perspective, what are some of the, maybe even specifically for Cleveland public schools, because it's probably obviously different. There may be a similar narrative for public schools, but what are some of those challenges? 
Yeah, a number of kids at my school are dealing with serious trauma at home. Um, the neighborhood that my school is trauma, in. Not trauma, not yeah. trauma. Trauma, yeah. T. Yep. T. Yep. Yep. Um, the neighborhood that my school is in has the highest domestic violence cases in Cleveland mm-hmm. and the highest poverty in Cleveland. So a number of kids coming in that have just seen crazy things or been dealt just a very tough hand. So some of it is situations at home with drugs, violence, crime, uh, broken families, challenges like that that come in. My first year at my current school, I had one out of 26 kids recognize any letters on day one, the kindergarten kids. And you should come into kindergarten knowing your letters. Okay. So kids who are dealing with trauma and then kids who are coming in significantly behind academically. Hmm. And so like from a teacher's perspective, I have to teach. I got to get them moving more than a year academically and the challenges with that. And then at schools like mine where can be a tough work environment. There's definitely a lot of discipline and behavior issues. There's a lot of teacher turnover as well. So the lack of consistency can have an impact on the kids. Yep. Um, and you just kind of see the cycle yeah. of teachers constantly going, kids coming in behind, not catching up, falling further behind, uh, challenges at home. As they get older, jobs not available right in their neighborhood and not having the transportation to get out to other ones and not having learned the soft skills that you need to be effective in that. And then next thing, it's a cycle. Yeah. It's a tough cycle. Wow. I mean, you started out talking about trauma um, as maybe the beginning of a cycle in some ways. Um, what what does it mean for a teacher in public schools to address trauma? I think it's tough because a lot of us have not been trained in that. And a lot of us just don't have a proper understanding of how to effectively handle that. So we have a kid who's acting up. He's running out of the classroom, slamming the doors. And our impulse is, what are you doing? Sit down, shut up. Like, I'm trying to teach a lesson. You need to learn this stuff. Right. Without necessarily knowing, oh, like for one of the kids that I've had, the previous weekend, his uncle had got shot and murdered. His seven-year-old cousin got shot. While that was happening, mom was in the hospital in ICU, so sister was raising him for the time being. And just, like, how do you... I don't know how I would handle a situation like that as a 26-year-old, let alone thinking, how does a 5-year-old handle this? And then my expectation is, no, you just need to sit down, be quiet, listen to me while I'm trying to teach you how to add. Yeah. (laughs) And just recognize (laughs) there's a lot of complexities that I don't recognize often. Yeah, and that's... Are you... Would you say that teachers in public schools need to be trained in that? Is that like a... I think people are starting to recognize the importance of that. Okay. I think there's such a heavy emphasis on reading and math, which quite frankly, we need that. And when our schools are failing academically, we certainly need to improve the academics and how we're delivering instruction, no doubt whatsoever. Um, But at the same time, teachers should at least have a skill set or a knowledge base on how to either effectively handle a situation like that or know or be able to look for signs and be able to refer the kids and help them get the supports they would need. Right. Cause it's kind of like if you improve the academics, but don't improve your approach to maybe the psychology aspect, like what good is your instruction going to be in many ways? Is Absolutely. That kind of a thought? Absolutely. Yep. Yeah. It's definitely a whole, you need to have more of a holistic approach. Right. And people are starting to recognize that. I think so. Yeah. So, um, that was helpful. Um, 
and, and I think you spoke to this a little bit, but maybe you could tease it out a little bit more, but like, how do you think these um, challenges that you're finding in public schools reflect kind of the communities in Cleveland as kind of you've seen over these past few years, maybe you've, as you've gotten to know parents, families, things of that nature? Um, I think there's just a lot of brokenness and that becomes more and more of a reality when I'm working the school and I'm there every day. Hmm. So again, I touched on kind of my background, like growing up in a stable environment and a comfortable home and never having to worry about where my next meal is coming from. It was more, what's mom cooking? Am I going to like tonight's dinner? (laughs) Um, I was able to kind of insulate myself and be in a little bit of a bubble and, oh, all those problems are out there or that's just their fault that they're doing that. Why don't they just stop doing X, Y, Z and start doing A, B, C and just realizing that things are much more complex than that. Um, And also just recognizing like prior to teaching kindergarten, I was quite critical of teachers and thinking if the kids are so far behind, it's all the teacher's fault. And again, while I think we as educators can do a much better job and should be held accountable for results, if kids are coming into kindergarten significantly behind academically, that's not on the parents. Hmm. So just recognize it. But if the kids who are coming in behind, if their families never learned well and didn't get a quality education, just seeing how it can be generational yeah. and just such a tough cycle to break out of. Hmm. Yeah, I think that's a... That's big. Like not, so kind of that movement from like, you know, when you were first maybe in your teacher in America day, teach for America days, it was like, it's all the teacher's fault. And as you kind of moved into the public school system, realizing, oh, it's much, much bigger than that. It's more than the teachers. It includes them, but it's the families, it's the situations Mm -hmm. that they're dealt. It's the cycle you keep mentioning. It's the the whole kind of chicken and the egg, but is it the crime? Is it the broken families? Is it the education? Is it the teacher? And you have all these different things and just a very intertwined web of complexities that are very challenging. Yeah. How, uh, is, how aware do you think teachers are of, or of just school administrations are of what you just said? I think, or maybe not even aware, but like a willingness to like a desire to be aware of that complexity. I think that's a little bit of a challenge and that's been a little bit of a frustration Hmm. from my time in the classroom where for a number of teachers, it's just, if these kids would just get themselves together and the problem is these kids and these, and the problem is these families Mm -hmm. and kind of a failure to recognize to one look inward and how could I improve as an educator? How sure I've been dealt a tough hand in terms of my class or the academics where we're at, but that's the hand that I'm dealt. I got to make the most of this. Um, but also just recognizing, okay, there are certainly challenges, but it's not just, oh, the kids are being bad. Like there's a whole lot of other things going on and a whole lot of other causes that doesn't excuse poor behavior. Yeah. But it's not just the kids acting up just to tick you off. And yeah, it's like, how do we have kind of the question is how do we have a empathetic response that like includes, um, kind of the, the circumstances that these kids find themselves in and have like a, a, like you said, a holistic approach to understanding that the symptom that they're expressing right now is a symptom of something much deeper, a cause that's much deeper and beyond even the teaching environment. Yeah. The term, the term that I love, um, is called no nonsense nurture Hmm. from a teacher perspective or classroom management approach. Yeah. And basically 
I'm no nonsense. Like, you're not going to act up in my classroom. You are here to learn. We're going to hold you to these high expectations. But also that nurturing aspect and everything is done in relationships with the kids. Hmm. And I'm holding you to these high expectations because I know you can re- you can meet them. I'm going to help you get there. Mm-hmm. I believe in you. And emphasizing both the high expectations, but also you'll help them along the way. So kind of the no nonsense and the nurturing aspect. Yeah, that's prob- that's good. Because I'm just, my mind's going to like, maybe it's a question here of like, how do you see kids? Those are, you know, it's often probably two very different environments. You know, I'm not saying all the time, but maybe most times it's, you know, the kids who are in your kindergarten class, that no nonsense nurture mentality is very different than what they might experience at home. How do you see them begin to reconcile that? Or do you? And that can be, and basically it's kind of, I, I'm dealt the hand I'm dealt. Mm -hmm. So I just know while I'm in the classroom with the kids, here's how we're going to operate and here's the environment and the culture that we're going to work to create Mm -hmm. and just focusing on that. And I, ideally there's a lot of continuity between that and what's going on at home, but can't necessarily control the outside factors. Yeah, for sure. I mean, speaking to that though, like, you know, my question was going to be like, how are some of these challenges being met? But we can move on to move right into like kinder kits and kind of what you're doing with them. And from my understanding, I want you to explain it. I I know a very basic idea of what it is, but um, you're you are partnering with parents. You know, it's something that's happening not in the classroom, but also something that's happening outside the classroom. So speak to what kinder kits is in like what challenges you you spoke about all these challenges in public school what challenges is it meeting and so on yeah so i think i touched on uh my first year at my current school where you should come into kindergarten knowing your letters Mm -hmm. one out of 26 kids did Mm -hmm. um two recognized numbers and a lot had never held a pencil before so the challenges were coming in behind. We grow a lot, but even then we're still behind. You lose and learning that, over the summer. Right. Had any of these kids or do kids usually go to preschool? Or not, Ideally, right? Ideally, but, but not, not necessarily. Okay. And just because you're going to preschool doesn't mean quality preschool. Um, so the other challenge was a parent could register their child in, say, May, June, whatever. And they were told, first day is August 15th. We'll see you then. Yeah. Nothing about... On that first day of school, ideally your child comes in knowing letters or at least recognizing some of them, knowing numbers, knowing how to count, things like that. And even then, the other challenge is if you say to a parent, especially a parent who might not have an extensive education background themselves, your child needs to know their letters. Mm -hmm. How do you actually teach a four-year-old, oh, this is a T, this is an R? So that was kind of our challenge is parents didn't have a clear understanding of what their child needed needed to know coming in and even then how do you actually teach those skills Hmm. so my kind of hypothesis was if we can give parents the information so here's what your kids should know and here's how you can teach it using simple everyday items um it can just change a child's trajectory getting them get them to come in more on track so what we do is we give them a drawstring bag it can function as a first backpack I'm looking at them yep, you right got some, across you got your some in here. Uh, mm-hmm. family room floor. And and it will have things like Skittles or Fruit Loops. And we talk about your kids should know how to sort things. Okay, sort them by color. You're sorting right there. They should know how to count in one-to-one correspondence. So move one Skittle at a time, one Fruit Loop at, one fruit loop at a time. <laughs> and you're doing the counting. You're getting that one-to-one correspondence, things like that. We have shaving cream and rice 
for letter recognition and they can make it in the dry rice or in the shaving cream with their finger and get kind of that sensory experience or Play-Doh for shapes and a dry erase marker to practice handwriting. So basically helping the parents see that anything that they have can be used in an educational way. And obviously you eat the Skittles are gone, but the thinking is next time you go to the store, okay, you'll buy that pack of Skittles and before you eat them, Let's practice sorting them first. Yeah. Or walking down the street. Oh, we were talking about shapes. What shape is that street sign over there? What letters do you see on that? Mm-hmm. And just helping parents see um, mm-hmm. that everyday situations can be learning opportunities. So the summer, the first summer that I um, made them, all of my incoming kids got them. And that fall, we had 17 out of 26 recognized letters on day one. And this was... Was it the year prior that was one out of one. 26? Mm-hmm. So you went yep. from one to 17. One to 17. <laughs> and we went from two to 20 on recognizing numbers. And kindergarten, we were doing some winter and spring, like national testing. Hmm. And we were significantly ahead of the previous year with that as well because of the increase in readiness. So like that kind of um, cemented my belief that the parents want to help their kids they're willing to help their kids. Just giving them the effective tools was where we were falling short as a district. Hmm. That's huge. So if I'm understanding it correctly, you give these kits to kids prior to enter, enter, you like have your list of kids and that's the best case. Okay. Um, a number of families don't register their child to, for kindergarten until the first day of school or after it begins. Mm-hmm. So the things in the kit can still certainly be helpful once school starts and reinforcing things, no doubt. But in a perfect world, you're getting that either when you leave pre-K or like May or June and working on those skills throughout the summer. Got it. What have you found about, um, because I I think what's unique about kinder kits is that um, it's not something that's happening in school, you know, during that time um, that you have kids. So... I think what's unique about it is that you're in a sense partnering with parents. What have you gotten feedback from parents or like built relationships with parents that are using these and what's that experience like? Yeah. Feedback has been very positive overall. Just parents saying they felt better prepared in knowing Mm -hmm. what their child needs and how to support their child and that they enjoyed doing the activities with their child and their kid enjoyed it. Mm -hmm. Like everything in there, fruit loops, Skittles, stuff like that is based off of what's worked well in the classroom Hmm. So I know that the stuff works. We've had success with it. And just helping parents see, again, I can use this. And laying the framework that the parent feels comfortable supporting their child academically Hmm. and ideally feeling confident then throughout the school year to be talking to the teacher and viewing it really as a partnership. Yeah. You know, I think a lot of people acknowledge and know, like we talked about at the beginning, that um, the public school system in any city, but in Cleveland, people I've gotten to know is either something to avoid or something to redeem, you know, Mm -hmm. and that there's something that, uh, they want to see change about it. What do you say to people who aren't teachers, who aren't school administrators, who want to help maybe are living in the city of Cleveland, but want to help improve the education system? I think the idea of it being something to avoid and redeem is very valid. Yeah. Like we certainly have a lot of challenges and issues and a parent should do their due diligence in looking up the schools before committing to send your child to that. Mm -hmm. Um, So recognize that. But that being said, 
in the city of Cleveland, in Cleveland public, there's about 40,000 kids. Like this isn't something that we should just avoid and flee from and just think, oh, that problem is out there. Like both economically, these are future potential employees and workers Mm -hmm. in our city. Um, But also from a Christian perspective, these are kids who are created in God's image and just to say, oh, there's too many problems in the school system, so we're just going to avoid everything and pretend it doesn't exist. I don't mm-hmm. think that's a um, wise approach or mentality mm-hmm. with that. I'm wondering, too, can you, you've hinted at this a couple times, but can you tell talk more about um, the image of God in these kids? Because I think a lot of people would say, like, well, yeah, the image of God is in everyone. So, like, why not go teach in the suburbs? <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, where it's a bit more comfortable. What? Like, that is a rationale, but also, like, can you mm-hmm. tell me a little I bit think more it could, what that is? In one sense, it could be easier in the suburbs. I think you would have a different set of challenges. Yeah. So maybe less on the classroom management behavior, possibly more on the parental side yep. um, or administration with that. Um, but I think, for example, like, I think the kind of underlying question behind it is these kids aren't the most lovely or the easiest to love and to effectively teach them and serve them well, you're going to have to get your hands dirty hmm. and it's not always going to be pretty. And it's not comfortable to respond to a kid who's lost their grandfather over the weekend in a shootout hmm. or things like that. So I think that's definitely true. Um, at the same time, like as a believer, I was not lovely or desirable in Christ came. He didn't say, I'm going to go and pick the, nicest ones are the hardest working or the most productive mm. or anything like well we were yet sinners christ died for us mm. um and again like in these suburbs people need the gospel mm-hmm. and we need great teachers there and i know i've had a conversation with somebody and he works for a startup and him and his wife view kind of the wealthier scene as their mission field so they join the country club and when they go they pray with the people that they're golfing with sometimes and like that is absolutely fantastic and great to have that mission outlook wherever they are. Mm-hmm. Um, but just thinking like in the inner city, it can be easy to overlook those kids or just think they're difficult, they're tough, I don't want to deal with them. And I'm just thankful that that wasn't Christ's mentality when he came regarding me. That's good. Do you have a story of like, you know, maybe these painful experiences or, or something that took place with a student where it was like, you know, it's like almost like uh, blurring the line between teacher and friend or mm-hmm. whatever you need to be in that moment, you know? Yeah. Um, so my second year teaching, I had a girl in my class. She was a sweetheart, ton of fun. She, I don't think she had the ability to think without thinking out loud. So she was just a chatterbox, talkative yeah. as can be. But we, we had a blast. We had a great year. <laughs> um, she was being raised by her grandma. Um, Mom had been abusive. Dad was a deadbeat. Mm-hmm. Um, nobody else in the picture family wise. So grandma was functioning as mom, dad, grandma, all the above. So we had a great year, great, re- great relationship. We, um, kept in touch over the next couple of years where occasionally we would grab McDonald's, hang out, catch up, which was great. That you would do that with the, the girl shop. and her grandma. Oh, mm-hmm. awesome. And then, um, I was then teaching at my new school one day and my phone rang and this girl's auntie had been, had called me and left a message and the previous night the girl her grandma died in her sleep so the girl tried to wake up grandma 
grandma wasn't responding, so she called 911, then went to school, didn't know. So the auntie was calling and said, hey, Mr. Colas, um, she doesn't know that her grandma died. Would you be able to be there when she gets off the bus this afternoon? Hmm. Um, so just going there, that was one. That was definitely the hardest moment I've ever had teaching, wow. being there when that news got broke to her. Um, but the opportunity to be in that position or to have those relationships um, is a really unique opportunity that you got as an educator. Yeah, sincerely. I mean, more than an educator. Mm-hmm. You know, like, I don't know many teachers that are going to McDonald's <laughs> with uh, their students and their grandmas. Mm-hmm. So I think that's pretty profound. What for you, I mean, it might be obvious, like, uh, like part of the success is seeing kids who use kinder kits and then you go from one to 17 in a year of kids who are ready and prepared. But as kids, um, you know, move on to first grade, what's for you like uh, a successful, that's not the word I want to use, but like um, maybe you, where where you see kids flourishing. Like how have you seen that? Where have you seen that? And what what does that look like for you? I think the coolest thing or seeing the flourishing aspect, I guess, would be with some of the most challenging kids that it takes most of the year to build that relationship with. Hmm. So in the beginning of the year, some students who have no problems flipping desks, tearing everything up, ripping things off the wall. Yeah. Um, and that happens pretty frequently. You're just running out of the classroom, <laughs> cussing out whatever and not giving up on them. And then throughout the year, slowly, you kind of peel back a few layers and eventually come to the point that you have a strong relationship with them. And those are the ones, like you're not supposed to have favorites, but the fact that it took so much work to get to that point, yeah, you kind of do with some of those. And that, Only because it took so much work. Only because it took so much work, yeah. And yeah. I mean, that, is, that isn't always the case. Um, I can think of a couple of my students that I tried everything I knew and mm. even at the end of the year it was still a struggle. Man. And I know I learned a lot about patience. I'm <laughs> Yeah. I wish I had more to show in regards to our relationship together or the academic progress for those ones. Um but just the idea of just seeing how some of the kids grow and mature and progress mm. and then even when they are first, second grade and beyond, the ones who are still doing well and you have that relationship you can still see them keep in touch here about their progress their successes that's yeah. really cool yeah that is that's awesome um you reminded me too of one thing i wanted to touch on is just um trust and what it means to build that which you hinted at just now especially in when it's like hard to get through to maybe kids who don't want to trust a 26 year old white dude mm-hmm. i don't know um maybe they're not sensing that yet but mm-hmm. maybe they are. Um, what is that like? And what, what are the, uh, what's the strategy for you to like, to build that trust and to earn that trust mm-hmm. in some ways? Yeah, I think definitely as a white male, it is a unique opportunity. Yeah. Where like for the kindergarten students, for many of them in that neighborhood, I'm the first white person they've interacted with, or they've interacted with maybe a police officer or a social worker, not in a great context. Yeah. Um, so that's just a unique opportunity with the kids and for the families as well, kind of a, okay, this person doesn't look like us. He's not from our neighborhood. Can I, is my child going to get a good education? Does he actually understand how to teach, how to love my kids, how to serve them? Um, and the trust, it takes time. And that's where I think being there day in and day out. Mm -hmm. So with the kids, even just trying to start off the day well, like greeting each kid by name in the morning, making sure that each kid knows that 
you are excited that they are there, that they are a valuable part of the class, that so the class is better with them than without them. Mm-hmm. And just over time, um, you can build those strong relations, relationships with the kids. And they they tell me everything. I hear a lot of stuff about what's going on at home and mommy said this, daddy did that and whatever. Yeah. Um, and I think it goes both ways though. So if the kid does feel safe, if they feel valued, they're also saying that at home to their parents that, mm-hmm. oh, I love going to school. I'm having a blast in this class. And I think that the kids can be my biggest advocate with the parents for building trust. Mm-hmm. Um, then as that kind of continues on, the parents do feel confident with yep. their child in my class. We can have a really good relationship. Yeah, that makes sense. That's awesome. Um, as we kind of uh, wind down, I wanted to ask you what, you know, obviously you had this dream of kinder kids. What is your dream now? for um, public schools, for your own classroom, for the kids that you work with? If you had to say, like, this is what I hope for, pray for, long for in their lives. Um, I think kind of a couple things. I think with kinderkits, I would love for this to go national. Hmm. Um, I, From talking to people in other cities, recognize that kindergarten readiness is a national problem. Um, and just the idea of not just a, another program, but empowering the families to support the child. I really believe that parents are a child's first teacher, and yeah. as a teacher, your best asset, a mm-hmm. parent. Because um, you're not only, sorry to interrupt, but you're <laughs> not only like teaching kids through kinder kids, but you're helping teach parents how mm-hmm. to be parents in this yeah. sense, in this aspect for of the their child's life. Yeah, mm-hmm. for the academics, which is like a pay dividends for the next 12 years of that's that the kid's hope. life that's the hope mm-hmm. yeah um so that'd be one is grow growing and scaling that and ideally i'm not at the point where that can be full-time yet if that were to be the case i would love to do that hmm. um i have a blast in the classroom but if this could go larger the idea of having more of an impact on a macro scale hmm. is really attractive um that'd be kind of the more personal one the other one, I feel like education as a field, there's a lot of potentially great teachers, transformative teachers who never go into education. So people who could be just a world-class life-changing teacher, somebody who's a great role model, great influence on the kids. But when they think about education, whether it be the pay or the viability of the career path or the field or whatever, they say, why bother with it mm-hmm. and go into that. And I would love for the kind of perception of public education to change where it's a viable career path it's a noble option and it's something that you would love doing Hmm. so that would be kind of the other one is just changing the perception that it's not just yeah i don't know what to do maybe i'll go into teaching or i just want a job that i don't have to work in the summer so i'll go teacher (laughs) i want a pension so let me be a teacher but (laughs) actually thinking like here's an incredible opportunity to leverage my skill sets and even like for a first-year teacher, if you come out of undergrad and you're 22 years old in the classroom, in a sense, you're managing 25 people of all different backgrounds, learning styles, abilities, levels. Um, you're communicating to them. Like, the skills that you are learning as a teacher are so valuable and so transferable. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a great opportunity that you can really grow personally, grow as a leader. Um, and I feel like the field as a whole can market itself better. So Mm. hopefully that'll happen. Hmm. What are the uh, um, attributes? Because it kind of sounds like you're saying you see potential in people who may not be in the education field. 
especially when it comes to being a transformative teacher and maybe in an inner city environment, what are the things that you see and like want to call out on people to say like, you could do this. Like, what are those characteristics? Um, I mean, I, potential you see. Yeah, I think the biggest thing is authenticity. Mm. So me being a very high energy outgoing parent, it goes great with kindergarten. Yeah, I tried some of that stuff with older kids. They would just give me a blank look and it would not work. So one is just like recognize that what might work for me in kindergarten does not work for somebody else, but it works because I'm able to be really authentic. Um, mm. That being said, I think people who are very mission driven, so that's kind of all the rage with millennials is I want to either work for a company that's doing social good or I want to make sure my company has volunteer days and helping with that. But the idea of, okay, you have your values, you have your kind of purpose, your why, and understand how education can align with that. Um, great teachers, though, some kind of common traits across. You need to be flexible. Um, you do not know what you are going to be thrown, but suburbs or inner city, there is going to be a lot that just comes out of nowhere. Mm -hmm. Like the day that I had a kid poop in the sink. Just the things like that that you do not see. Is coming. there more of a story to that that we should hear, or is it just is that the story? Um, no, one, one <laughs> day I was I was in the back of my room teaching, and somebody came out of the bathroom and just, Mister Cola, somebody doo dooed in the sink, and I pretended I didn't hear it, and I was like, "There's no way that happened. We're gonna just continue." <laughs> just denied it, put it out of my mind, didn't think twice until the next morning. Because no. this was in the afternoon, like at the very is end the of the day. Is the sink in your classroom? Or There's no, like a bathroom a... in the classroom. So it's in that uh, bathroom in the classroom. Oh my gosh. So I just was like, I didn't hear that. There's no way I heard that. And then <laughs> next day in the morning, somebody goes to the bathroom, comes out screaming. And I said, oh no, what happened yesterday really did happen. Oh, oh no. shoot. Um, <laughs> so there is, there is a lot that kind of, not that that's going to happen everywhere, but that can come yeah. out of left field. So yeah. flexibility, adaptability, sense of humor. Um, teaching is a very collaborative environment, or mm. should be. Mm. Um, just thinking with other teachers in the building who have either taught those kids before. So maybe I'm having, well, not as much in kindergarten if it's their first year in education. But like if a first grade teacher is having trouble with one of my kids, okay, yeah. I had them for last year. Here's what worked. Here's what didn't. Yep. But also recognizing that there can be multiple ways to teach different things. So just brainstorming with others. Um, and so that'd be, that'd be another thing that I would say, just being willing, being a team player, willing yeah. to collaborate, willing to work together, help others out. Yeah. Cause it's not only collaborative with other teachers, but parents and the, yeah, well. absolutely. Families. Absolutely. The families and ideally, um, even like community partners. Yeah. So the boys and girls club or other yep. organizations like that, that have either tutoring or programs after or, school. Yeah. Yep. Right. That makes sense, man. Thanks so much, Ben. I feel like I uh, learned a lot myself, and I know our listeners are going to really enjoy what you shared here. So, Oh, this has been a ton of fun. Yeah. Appreciate it. Thank yeah. you. Thanks so much. Man, I love that conversation. And just as a uh, side note, um, that's kind of uh, the length I hope our uh, episodes will be in the future. I'm on a learning curve, total learning curve with editing and recording. And I just get lost in conversations uh, with people and they end up going two hours and then I've got so much to edit and cut. And, you know, I remember that quote, kill your darlings, and I've just struggled to do that. So, um, so I'm trying, but this was more in line with uh, just the feel 
the length, all that stuff, just to give you guys a heads up. Um, but hope you enjoyed the conversation with Ben. You know, after uh, we got done recording, he mentioned like, you know, I'm not used to uh, kind of like having people ask me questions and then giving me the space to have a lengthy answer to it. Because usually he's like, whenever he's been interviewed, it's been on a television station or something of the sort, or it's just quick. They just want to know what he's doing, what it means, all that stuff. And uh, I was just glad to give him the space to, you know, say kind of and share some of the motivation, some of the the background, uh, some of the passion uh, that goes along with what he does, but doesn't always get the chance uh, to share. We need that, you know, Uh, we need that for ourselves um, to even remember what it is we feel passionate about, what it is we feel called to. So I was glad to be able to provide that opportunity for him. But if there's any uh, resources, ways to connect with Ben, I'll put those in the show notes as always. And, uh, you know, if you have stuff you want to share that is encouraging or uh, ways in which you want to recommend this podcast to others, I point you in the direction of, uh, yes, you guessed it, the iTunes review section. Um, it's the best way for people to find us, find out about us, and uh yeah that'd be great and encouraging to me uh killing two birds with one stone right there um if you have criticism or thoughts or questions um feel free to direct those directly to me you could find a contact page on our website also in the show notes um so thanks so much for listening guys and we'll catch you next time bye